Thanks so much for doing this, Anna. Yes, really happy to. Happy to appreciate see you again. It. Yeah, this is I, this is the third time I've came up here to visit yes, you. Yes, it is. And um, you know, people have read your books. You and your husband. Yes. The the books that you guys have put out. Yes. And the life that you've lived. When when did you move to Moravian Falls? Uh, I'm. We moved here in '97. So I've been here 22 years. 22, that's, a, that's a, an incredible number. Yes, it is. <laughs> we were always seeing, there's up in Kansas City, we would see 222, two, two. There's, a, there's a highway that's 222. Two, two. We'd always say, it means something, it means something. 222, <laughs> wow. two, two, you know. But um, yeah, so I've been here 22 years, and we, we were hidden after, after our work in Kansas City which was everywhere, mm. and we were with the entire body of Christ uh, all over the city and doing all kinds of things, you know, which I adored because I enjoy seeing people. Um, it was Jim Gall told us when he was still Jim instead of James. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Gall said, you're going to, after this, you're going to be hidden. We thought, what? What? No, no, we can't believe it. We can't, what is this? you know and um, we thought we'd be doing something in prayer really so you always had in your heart too well we were doing that in Kansas City mm -hmm. we did that before my husband was one of the 12 that prayed in the charismatic revival yeah and then uh, he came up to another church and a year after we were married there was a huge revival and that church packed out and it was just incredible and um, then he, he was older, so he retired. And um, eventually we went up to Kansas City, uh, <clears throat> simply because we were kind of tired of being out in the woods. <laughs> and uh, we knew that all of this day was coming. And we were planning for this day. For the day that you're living in now. For the day that we're living in now, that's right. But it wasn't the right spot. Evidently, we started a, a business of doing natural wreaths, and we did them for Neiman Marcus all over the nation, and their stores all over the nation. And um, so it was wonderful. We were out in the country. We would carry these wreaths up to the distribution center outside of Dallas in a three-horse trailer. <laughs> Man. You know, here were these great big 18-wheelers backing up to these these slots, you know, that they have for unloading. Wow. And we were coming up with a three-horse trailer and backing it up in there. <laughs> we were kind of like a mascot to them up there. <laughs> Amazing. And 
we loved it. We had a great time. We really did. I enjoyed collecting those things and finding out about them. But um, Rick Joyner came through. At that time, he was doing his ministry out of the back of his car. And uh, he had not written any books. He had a little pamphlet on which he had, um, I think, um, Two Trees in the Garden, a little excerpt that he was, you know, starting to write. And he was coming to someplace in Texas where we were. Not, not where we were, but near where we were. Okay. And we knew the pastor way over there. It was about five hours away. We just happened to know the pastor. And uh, we said we'd really like to talk to him. And so we said to Rick, um, what? My husband wanted to know what was going on in the church, mm. you see. And he said, well, there are two places. One is on the West Coast, the Vineyard, and the other is the Kansas City Fellowship. And he said, I'm going to send you something for the uh, conference, 1989 conference. And That's it, a strategic year, 1989. It was huge. It was the year that launched all kinds of ministries. That's what uh, I was with Rick um, about a month ago, and he was talking about 1989. That was James it. Gall talked about 1989. That's right. We were all there, all of us. We weren't doing what we're doing now. Uh, you know, Rick, as I say, was out of his car, you know, yeah. and, uh, but that didn't matter. You could, you could sense the anointing on him. We were so happy to, to talk to him. And, um, you know, when we went to Kansas City, the, uh, we had to have the Lord call us there. So we went a couple of times, you know, yeah. kind of hanging out to see if he was going to call us, you know, <laughs> he didn't call us. But we were out in Wyandotte, where they had, they, at that time, they had six churches. And um, I said, let's, we were going home, we were driving home, and we had our dog with us and everything. I said, could we stop at the Grandview Prayer Center? Right, you know, it was just a little room. Okay, okay. There were about six people in it praying at that time. Mm. And um, I said, can we stop there before we go? And we didn't know there would be any difference in the different churches. Well, so we went in and we started praying. They had the someone who became a friend. He actually moved up here. Um, he gave the limpest prayer you have ever heard in all your life. Oh God, we just need some help, and we just you know everybody was always storming heaven. Right. And he was just we just. We really kind of need some help in here and that kind of thing. And I said, oh my gosh, this is where we're supposed to be. <laughs> that prayer was that the prayer? That prayer was the prayer that did it. <laughs> Al and I looked at each other and said, oh my word, I can't believe it. You know, we went outside and we, w we walked over to Knightsbridge Apartments. And we said, we need to get an apartment and we'll be back in one month. Because we had to sell our house, our business, the van. My word, that one prayer. That one prayer, that was it. And we were, you know, they said, well, we're redoing an apartment, a little single apartment, and uh, it'll be ready by that time. I said, we'll put down some money and we're coming back. We made it in a month. My. And when we came in, it started raining so much that we couldn't unpack the U-Haul, you know? Could not unpack. And we were just sitting in this 
you know, water soaked building. We couldn't even go over to the church. It was so amazing, just drowning everything. Mm. By the time we finally unpacked and got to church, it was around, uh, you know, we went on, I think, um, a Wednesday night. Uh, at that time, they were having Wednesday night meetings, you know, little teaching, little teaching things. Jim was teaching up in the upper room, and, and uh, Mike Bickle was teaching on the stage. And anyway, so they were telling us about a revival that began with that rain right when we'd come in. And really? it was a huge revival among the children. And it was so, we couldn't understand them. It was in all the churches, all six of the locations. In that region, it, the, the just power and the church. presence of God just spontaneously started just touching spontaneously the kids. It happened in, in what they call the Dominion Christian School in, that, in uh, Kansas City Fellowship. And they, were, they didn't know what to do. I mean, the kids were just like, you know, on fire. And we went out My. to Olathe, one of the places, and um, where uh, uh, one of the Raven Hills was, and we we prayed with Leonard Raven Hill because he was living pretty close to where we were living. So you knew Leonard Raven Hill as well. Yes, I knew Leonard Raven Hill as well. We prayed with him every week when he was living in Lindale, and um, you know, so we we didn't know his son. But we wanted to, we thought that's the place, you know, to sort of, anyway, his son wasn't there when we went up there, but <laughs> what can I tell you? Right. Anyway, we went out to Olathe and these children were, they, they were so young, they could not communicate with us what they were seeing. You know. They couldn't express what they, they were seeing because of their age. Because they were seeing demons as well as angels, you know. And they they would try to express these things. And we were thinking, mm, we don't, you'd have a bunch of adults around a child looking down and say, I don't know, what do you think of that? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, we were all just pouring over them like we were looking at a stew or something. Mm. And, and it was these kids that were absolutely on fire. And so one of them was pointing up at something and she wanted to pray. We couldn't understand that she wanted to pray. She was about three years old, you know. She was, she was just on fire, this little, little bit of child. She wanted to pray. So they took her off in a side room trying to figure out what she was. And they finally came out. They said, she wants to pray for her brother to be saved. My. <laughs> I thought, oh, my gosh. This is, this is so far beyond what, you know. We were just amazed. It was incredible. Nice. So, but mainly what we did up in Kansas City was the Lord had taken us there because we were retired. And even though we spent some time in the prayer room, um, uh, we told them we would take their prayer board because I said, you've got dead people on it. you got to get the dead people off your prayer board. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I Let's hear you. Let's get the dead people off and <laughs> say thank you Lord and hallelujah they've gone to heaven mm -hmm. uh, I said but we'll just keep it updated nobody was ever healed it was the healing board nobody was healed and we my no one was healed nobody was healed and so we had asked Mike how much time he would give us to pray for the people to be healed 
in this two-hour service. Uh -huh. He said, two minutes. We said, okay, two minutes. Two minutes. So we would pray the two minutes for people to be healed, you know. Nobody was healed. So Albert and I began taking the names back home. We ended up praying 12 hours a day for these people. And lo and behold, one of the pastors came in and he said, he said, we've got to pray because Sharon, who prayed with us often, I mean, there were only a few. These were young people and people had to work. They had young children, yeah. you know? Uh -huh. These were not retired people, mm -hmm. you know? They had to work. So there weren't many in the prayer room. And, uh, but Sharon was in the prayer room. And he says, Sharon is, I've just left the hospital. She's dying with acute leukemia. And all, maybe six of us, <laughs> at, spontaneously rose to our feet and said, no! Revival began. That was your prayer, no. That's it, no. She was healed immediately, and then everybody that would go on that prayer board would be healed. We were just taking them, they were calling them in from Israel, calling them in all the place, all over the place, you know. No, no you know, it was just like unbelievable. It was just huge, you mm. know, still two minutes, that's all we had to do that, but we were doing it. We were. Mm. But you were also secretly praying, though. I mean, you well, twelve no, hours. We, we or... did that beforehand. As okay. soon as it broke, we didn't. It was just. It was just flowing. Yeah. It it's was like just, the dam. Just the like waters the dam. just broke, and God decided that that we were doing the limit of what we could do. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. which is part of revival that people don't talk about. Right. But I've been in several of them, so you do all you can do without laying your hand on it. Yeah. You don't push it, you don't uh, manipulate it. You just give every, you spill your guts. That's mm. what you do. Mm. That's what you do. And um, anyway, uh, when this happened, uh, the Lord began to move us to the city. And it had been our heart because we had been through several revivals by this time to see the whole body of Christ at peace with one another. You know, they weren't going to change their doctrine, you know, because they were under authority. Mm -hmm. They were pastors and they had people that were in authority over them. But we understood that because we had pastored, you know. A lot of people that want to do things with, with prayer and with other things do not understand the authority. Where you have authority and where you don't have authority. You know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but we just happen to come from a liturgical background where there is authority. So we were able to work with the Orthodox, Russian, Serbian, Greek, the Catholics, Vietnamese, all the Catholics. You were able to cross through denominational we went lines. All, we were all 73 denominations. And once we had the pastors who were coming every month to pray in the downtown ballroom in Kansas City, in the hotel, they would come once a month and pray. Once we had the whole city, we began to do repentance services. 
and they they have a lot of ethnic people there. They have um, Serbians, Croatians, Russians, Vietnamese, Hmong, Hispanic, yeah. all doing services in their languages. You know, Chinese. Right. All were doing services in their languages. And uh, there was no crossover among any of these people. But Albert was older, and as he told the fathers of the city, he said, we're not here to do anything but what you want. Mm. We weren't there to be some big shots. We were there to serve. We were there to do what they could not do. Mm. They had people in their churches. They couldn't get out there and go to other churches all the time and get to know other pastors. They had flocks. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, you can just do all, they, you can't. Not really be a good shepherd. You have responsibilities like a father does, you know. And, but we did not have that, and we were happy to, uh, to go. And my husband was so, um, he was a very gentle person. He was brilliant in teaching, but he was a very gentle, gentle person. And they could see that he was not wanting to build himself up, that he was willing to serve. Mm. And that's what we did. And we repented all of these ethnic groups. We did the research. We did the first Native American repentance service in America, uh, researching the Native Americans in the Kansa collection in Kansas University. They have a, um, you know, a place where it's kept at a certain temperature and you can only go in with pencil and that kind of thing. And, uh, and then we, I had worked, I had written a Texas history and therefore I'd worked with some of the Native Americans. Hmm. And um, in doing the, um, the music for it, I went up to Oklahoma and that, the, the Caddoan tribe sat at drum for me and we, we recorded it it was a history that also had the music for every period of Texas's development for kids. That's right. awesome. Oh, it was wonderful. It was So wonderful. this was the very first like vicarious repentance service. It was you... the very very first one. when we talked to the um, the chiefs or if they call themselves presidents or chairman or something, you know. I can't remember what which each of them were called. There were five tribes that were in Kansas City. And uh, we called them and said, uh, told them what we wanted to do, that we would send to them what we were going to repent so they could see it. We would fly them up from Oklahoma and put them up in the hotel here. And uh, they could see what we were going to do in this repentance service. I said, but more than that, we're going to drive down and let you look at us. Mm. And they were very big on that, looking at you, seeing what kind of person you were. We said, we're going to come down and let you look at us so you can see if we're serious and what kind of people we are. Right. And that's what we did. All five 
of the chiefs of the of the uh, tribes that were once there. They all said, "We've never heard of this." And we said, "Well, nobody's ever done it before," you know. Man. Yeah, it was really exciting. So we did that, and the Native Americans and the African Americans and all of them. We went through the whole thing. And the last one we did was with between the denominations. And Kansas City, when it was first formed, had one church building. And all the churches cooperated with one another to use that church building. And so we used that to call the people. That's a miracle in itself. Yes, it was. So it was, um, and we did the first March for Jesus. I lifted a great big 50-foot banner of Jesus over the city. It was exciting. It nearly knocked, <laughs> the enemy hit it so hard that he nearly knocked me off my feet. You had to have two enormous cranes lifting it 50 foot up. But we knew that it was going to break some things in the city if we did that. Anyway, it was a it was very exciting time. So you can imagine when Jim Gall said that we were going to be hidden from now on. We said, "What? What? What is this? I can't understand it. No, can't be." It so can't you had you you had no idea that God was going to call you to be, uh, if I can use the term, like a Christian mystic, where you're away oh, always Lord. praying. I I I was completely the opposite. I mean, I. Nothing unusual ever happened to me. When the Lord first spoke to me, he said I was going to be seeing into heaven, and I didn't believe God, <laughs> you know? And it was 20 years. And when we were leaving Kansas City, after all that work, there was a, um, are you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> uh, there was a, um, someone had a dinner party for us. And they invited Bob up from Florida. I mean, oh, it was, it was so Bob a, Jones came up for this. Bob came up for this little dinner party. It was tiny. Just my husband and myself and, you know, just to maybe about six or eight people. It was a tiny dinner party. And he came up for it. And um, after we ate, the people said, we ought to pray for them. Now, Bob never prophesied to us. He was a good friend, but he didn't. You know, he yeah. just, I wouldn't have, I would have thought, what do you mean you're going to problem? Can you believe it? Anyway, but he did. He said that he saw certain things, you know, and that uh, it was over the whole body of Christ, this round tree coming up in the, and going over the whole body of Christ and everything. He said out at the far to the right, uh, where the where the sun is coming up, there's a, a bush with red berries all over it. He said, I called out the bush of renown, which was really Jesus, so it was, you know. Uh, but anyway, he said, that's, that's your wife. She's going to catch what's coming first. You know, I was gonna be out there and the light yeah. was gonna get that. So- And he, he called it the, the round tree? He, well, there were two things. There was a cabin and a tree. There was no top on the cabin. The tree was growing up in the middle of the thing and going over the whole cabin. And he says, that's the whole body of Christ. 
you're going to cover the whole body of Christ. Well, we didn't see, even though we were up in Kansas City, we were basically pastors, uh-huh, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. We, we didn't know all these things. These were mysteries to us. I mean, we loved Bob. Right. And Bob was always saying, saying things, you know, you say, you know what I mean? I'd say, yes, I do. And Albert said, no, I don't. And I was so grateful because I didn't know what he was talking about either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Albert was honest. <laughs> and I was just trying to be, you know, in with everybody. I couldn't I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> but um, anyway, so he said that there was this cabin and the, this tree was growing up in the center of it. And the bush out here was going to catch, catch the light uh, like like seeing things, you know, like catching the light first. And I didn't see things. I mean, I saw a few angels up there in the prayer room, but you know, I wasn't going into heaven. I wasn't having any kind of mystical experiences. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't anything. And so, except a hard worker, I was willing to work so that the Lord could have what he wanted there in Kansas City, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, thrilled to do it, just thrilled to do it. So he said, you're going to be in a cabin and you will have a visitation. And so he called some, some younger people that were there at the dinner party. He says, what do you see when you look at me? She said, I see two headlights and a tree that's all covered with lights. He said, so when will the visitation be? We all were, you know, we don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't know anything. And he said, Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. He said, you will be in a cabin and you will have a visitation. Well, I thought, we had already put a down payment on a cabin in Arkansas because we were leaving and we were going to be in that cabin for three months. They usually closed it up. It was on Lookout Mountain because nobody wanted to be snowed in. Mm -hmm. We didn't mind, you know. And so I thought, we said, by golly, we are going to be in a cabin, you know. So we we were in that cabin, and we were sitting. Alan, I'm telling you, we we don't know nothing. I had asked my husband, I said, Albert, uh, let me just stop this. Uh, I said, Albert, when we were up in this cabin, I said, I'd really like to have some anointing. He said, well, Anne, who are you to have an anointing? I said, yeah, I guess you're right. Who am I to have anything? That's right. I mean, this is where I was, guys. This is where I was. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Yeah. And so, when it came to Hanukkah and we were in this cabin, we took two straight back chairs and we sat down next to each other and faced the door. We were going to wait for Jesus to come visit us. We didn't know what a visitation was, you know. It seemed reasonable. He was going to, it was a visitation. We could be, he just came to visit. So yeah. we sat there all of Hanukkah. Nothing. Nada. <laughs> you know, I said, right. I said, nothing unusual ever happens to me. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 
we had already <laughs> we had already um, made plans. The the pastors in Kansas City had asked Albert to come back in one year and give a week long convocation on the cross of Christ. So we were going back there around the time of um, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and all of that. And he did that. It ended up right before Yom Kippur. And we went over to where all the, the pastors were praying. Oh, you probably don't want to know that. No. Oh, okay. Well, that has to do with a mantle that was given to me. I went out to, to John G. Lake's grave with a friend of ours who was the lady that really financed Remind me where I am in the story. Yes, ma'am. That <laughs> financed everything for us to do in the city, you know, because mm -hmm. it's expensive. You have to rent a ballroom. You have to, you know, there's all kinds of things. Yeah. And um, anyway, she was a, a doctor's wife, and she said her father looked like John G. Lake, and she always wanted to go out to Spokane for you know, to, to do this, mm -hmm. to, to ask for his mantle that had come into the family line, which the Lord, the Lord likes to do that. Mm -hmm. He likes him to go into the family yes. line. And I said to her, I said, you know, are you willing to get up in the middle of the night like John G. Lake was? I said, he just was available at all times for people. That's pretty rough. I wasn't sure she was, you know. But we went out there with her, and Bob was right. There was power coming from that grave. You could be like that. I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe that there's really power coming from this grave. Mm. This is unreal, you mm -hmm. know. And um, so we, we were there three days, and at the third day, we taped calling forth the, the mantle. It was obviously there, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know what we would see. This was way at the beginning of our time in Kansas City. You know, we were just raw out from the, the country of making wreaths for Neiman Marcus. You know? Right. <laughs> we just, I didn't know what we were going to see. So anyway, we prayed up a storm. You could hear in the, in the recording the planes flying over and the different things and the breeze and everything. We were about to give up. And suddenly, up from that grave, Two angels brought this shimmering, shimmering gossamer garment, you know, had all kinds of different colors in it. It was gossamer, it was like, it was like made out of stardust or something. It was just like, wow, you know, it was incredible. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm seeing something here. Those angels held that between them and then they went and they left. She said, did they put it on me? Well, I didn't tell you part of it. The night before, the Lord kept saying, that, that mantle is yours. I said, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm not the kind of person that comes here with a friend and steals a mantle. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to, I'm sorry. You have to give it to her or something. I know that's a fly. I don't know if we have a fly swatter around here. You may have to be quick and catch it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
it was all night, but I, I said no, you know. I absolutely said no to that. I'm not going to steal. Not going to steal mantles. You don't do. I've seen mantles stolen, but I'm not going to do it. Um, anyway, now we're back to uh, Yom Kippur in Kansas City, all those years later. So I'm there where we're praying with the pastors. This is 1994. Praying with the pastors. And suddenly, it was a decommissioned Catholic church. Beautiful old place. Um, they, they decommissioned them so that anyone can use them. Okay, okay. And uh, so, there in the alcove at the back where the, where the altar was, here is Jesus standing 24 feet high. And I'm like, wow, and he's got on that garment that came out of that grave. He's got that garment on. So I said, oh, oh, this is good to know because now I know that where that where it went. Mm. It went back to him. Mm. You know, it's his and it went back to him. Right. I thought, gosh, that's good to know. And he said, look at me. And he these piercing eyes looked at me. And he came down to human size. And he just came straight forward, not like this, straight forward, right into me, looked out the back of my head, which was weird, and then turned around, looked out the front. I felt like I was behind these, like I had goggles or something on. He was out there and I was inside. It was so weird, really strange. <laughs> and he dropped that garment on me and went back. This time, Die. he didn't ask me. He didn't ask me this time. He yeah. just did it. He did what, yep. He did it. Mm. He was going to do it, and he did it. And truly, that was sort of the beginning of things for me. But when we sat there waiting for Jesus to come through the door, he didn't. You know, oh my. So... Somebody asked us, they said, did you have a visitation? I said, no. They said, aren't you ready for, for, for Hanukkah this year? I said, what do you mean this year? They said, two headlights. It's the second year, not the first one. So you just, you, you did, you, you got the, t I don't want to say you, but it was almost like the timing. That's right. You thought it was going to be one year, but you That's didn't right. realize that the two headlights the represented two years. The two headlights were two years. I didn't even think about the headlights. Yeah. You know, I was interested in the lights on the what looked like a Christmas tree. My. You know. And uh, so they said this year, well, you know, I'd already been disappointed. I didn't believe anything was gonna happen. But we were going to move to Florida because I had transcribed, I had I had taken down over a year's worth of Bob Jones's life. We went out there every week and we would take five years of his life and we were recording it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I had, I had the permission of uh, Mike Bickle to do that. I wouldn't have done it without his permission because Bob was under his 
authority? Mm -hmm. And he said yes. So we did that. And we were, at that time, almost the only ones who saw him. And he, it was a, an amazing experience. You know? Was this um, during the time that Bob was living in Florida? Or this was still when he was in Kansas City? He was still in Independence, Missouri. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they had... Um, he wasn't really coming to the congregation anymore. Right. And, and uh, they weren't visiting him either mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. But he allowed us to do it. I said, wouldn't it be interesting if you had like from Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, somebody right there recording what was happening during those times. Yeah. I said, for the body of Christ, wouldn't that be great? He said, Mike was wonderful. He said, yeah, go ahead. You can see it. So they let us. So we were the only ones that really got to see him over that year. It was very interesting. Mm. You know, we loved being with him. Yeah, I imagine. And um, anyway, so we went the whole year and we were in another cabin down on a lake, private lake in Texas. Okay. Hanukkah rolled around again. My, and here you are in a cabin. Here I am in a cabin, and we were we would sit in front of looking out at the lake every day. Can I ask you a question about that? Did did you plan that, or did it was that it was, year? It was uh, inexpensive to us. It belonged to someone whom we knew, mm -hmm. and it was the only cabin on this little private lake. And he said, if you just clean out where the the uh, what are they, those that have the teeth and eat up the trees? Beavers. When they build their dams and it makes the water go up, you know, mm -hmm. and come over the shore, he said, if you just clean that out while you're there. And that's what we did. It was a, you know, we were there the rest of the time until we left. So we were there, and we'd actually spent our honeymoon in that little cabin. So that was really neat, too. And um, he... Anyway, we were sitting there praying as we did every morning, basically praying like Episcopalians pray. We really generally have almost uh, prayer book prayers, you know. We knew our prayers and we said what we wanted to say. And we were sitting there together looking out at the lake and there was this angel that appeared before me. Wow. I, I thought, I didn't say it to him, you know. I was the one praying, and I'm sure I won't. What? You know. And the angel said, follow me. And I got up out of my body. I didn't know I could do that. My spiritual body got out of my other body, and I followed that angel. It was the most remarkable thing that I thought it was so usual because I'd never done that before, you mm, know? Mm. And we were in front of this long, tall curtain, you see. And there were two angels there and they, they parted the curtains and more light flooded. And the angel that was leading me followed that way. And I went through the curtains and I began to argue with myself. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, uh, all of this is internally, you know. Of course the angel could hear it, but it was internally. I said, 
This is, this is not a visitation. Visitation is when Jesus comes to visit you. This isn't a visitation. So I'm arguing with myself in the middle of this extraordinary experience, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unreal, you know? And the angel said, stop. So we just stopped there while I was arguing with myself. And I said, well, I know I'm not doing this. I think I'll just go on. The angel said, come forward. They were very, he was very pragmatic, this angel. He was very businesslike. So I followed him. Another two angels parted another veil, more light. And then we followed. He took me into the third curtain. And it was just, when I passed through that, there was just blinding light. Now I could look into it. It was blindingly white. I could look into it. I couldn't see anything. But I mean, it didn't hurt my eyes. It was just, you couldn't see anything because it was so blindingly white. And so a voice came from all of that and he said, what would you have? I said, oh my Lord, this is my heavenly father. Oh, I knew his voice. So you went through three veils. Yes, just like in the temple. Yeah, like and now you're brought into this place where it's, like creative light it's like you're it's just blinded. creative light yeah. it's just you know i couldn't see anything else up there at wow. all just just this light because they, they must have moved me really close to it you know and i mm. was just there and i'm looking at this light and he said what would you have and i said oh my word it's my this is my father and I didn't know what to pray. I wasn't ready. I wasn't thinking that this would happen, you know? I was sure it wouldn't happen. So I thought, well, the only thing I can do is just keep praying what I pray all the time. So I prayed one of the lines of what we always prayed. And he said, done, proceed. So I'd pray another line. He'd say, done, proceed. And I'd say, oh, I am standing in front of someone who can actually do this. He can actually do it. It's not, oh, please, please, please do it. It's If he says it's going to be done, it's going to be done, you know? Maybe not instantly, but it's going to be done. Mm. It was the most incredible thing. So I got all the way to the end of the list that we prayed every day. I didn't know what else to pray. I was just like, oh, oh, wait a minute, I'm in this great situation. And I don't know what to pray, you know. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he said, step forward. So I stepped into the light. And these hands of light came out and he put them on my head. My. And he said, receive. He took them away and the angels began pulling me backwards. Now, when this happened, I had only really heard of somebody going there like once there was a doctor that went to heaven you know and he wrote 15 books about being there 15 minutes in the park you uh -huh. know you know so you know i thought i only gotta get one shot at this so i started digging my heels in on the sea of glass and they were trying to pull me and i was pulling against them you know i was no you want no. you wanted to stay I, I was, I was, you know and my heavenly father said he said, the way is open between us now. 
And if you have forgotten to ask something, you can ask me anytime. I knew I had access to the throne. So I just released myself to the angels and they pulled me backwards through the veils, but the veils did not close. They were open. And I began to go every day. When I came back, because there was so much that was said that I said all the time, you know, I could remember it. And he said very little, and I could remember that. I asked my husband if he would excuse me, and I quickly wrote it down. And I said to the Lord, look, if we're going to do more of this, you've got to help me. I, I'm not going to be able to remember everything that you tell me unless I get it down right when you're saying it. I said, can you make it possible for me to be in the revelation then drop my eyes down? Not automatic writing. Drop my eyes mm -hmm. down, be in and out of it like, <laughs> like this, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and write. And he said he would do that for me. I said, I want exactly what you're saying. I don't want to say, well, I was there five hours, and this is kind of what, the, the gist of what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And then you have a lot of me in it. I said, I want you. Uh -huh. I want you. So I began going every day. My husband wanted to go, but he didn't allow that. Uh, he said he only needed one in the family, <laughs> you know. And uh, we left immediately to, to go to Florida because he had held us there so that the prophecy would be fulfilled. Because we, after Kansas City, which was like in September, when we went up there, we went down to Florida and got an apartment, but it fell through. So we were, and that, that pastor that was now living in Florida that prayed that Oh God, we just kind of need this, that, and the other. He got us an apartment. He got you an apartment. <laughs> he got us an apartment. <laughs> it was a in a government complex, you know, and because we was Pau, you know, yeah, we could get into it, and uh, so we did. That's where we lived, you know, ducked the bullets being shot and everything else. My. Yeah, it was it was exciting times. My, my. <laughs> We've lived hard for the gospel, yeah. but I don't mind. It's been exciting, truly yeah. exciting. So James says to you that you're going to move here. Or no, he... He, he never said that we were going to. He said we were going to be hidden. So then how did you end up moving to Moravian Falls? I mean, what was that... Process. Well, uh, my husband was raised in Charlotte, and we came up here to see some relatives. Mm. We were living in Florida, came up to see some relatives, and we met Harry and Louise Bazell at the time, who had the, you know, okay, the the inn down here. Yes. Yes, and uh, they said, "Well, you, if you're going to go back the the Parkway, why don't you stop off and look at all of this?" Since everybody hears God there. Well, by this time I was hearing God, so I was very, very proud. Mm. You know how you can get about anything, even especially things that aren't yours. Wow. The gifts of God. Anyway, 
we came out here with our dog. Albert sat on a stump up there, and I came to this little cabin that was up here. And it was so wild because they had a, a Southern living book, and I just happened to look into it, and it had my sister-in-law, a two-page spread of, of what she had done for <laughs> Southern living. I said, this is too weird. <laughs> this is really strange, you know. Anyway, I didn't, I didn't hear from God. Now I saw fire all over the mountains. So these mountains right here that we're looking at, you yes. saw fire on Fire them. all over them. Whoa. There was fire all over the mountains. And, uh, but I didn't hear from God. After about three hours, we went home. And uh, the Lord chastised us because we almost ran out of gas on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We thought there was, you know, gasoline stations there. There weren't. Right. No, so we were. <laughs> we said, we're bound to reach a gasoline station soon. And we, we weren't reaching one. Finally, I said, Albert, just turn off the car and let's just drift down, you know. And, and we went down, and, and uh, he did turn off the car because we were really on empty. And we got down into a town, and I was so scared of the mountain people. I thought they were going to eat my dog. You know, I thought it was deliverance. Whoa. I said, this is probably like deliverance. This is terrible. <laughs> They're going to do something to my dog. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I said, if we're going to eat here, please let me be where I can watch my dog. <laughs> it was, my. Uh, anyway, we finally got some gas. Thank the Lord. And went home, and I told Bob. I said, Bob, we didn't hear from God there. He said, well, how long were you there? I said, well, I was there. We were there three hours. And he said, well, that's very arrogant. He said, I have, it takes three days for me to hear God up there. I said, well, I didn't, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> you know, he just said that, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, that's the way we had seen it up here. And we were actually pastoring, interim pastoring a Presbyterian church. We're not Presbyterians. But this was the sweetest group of people. Um, they lost their pastor. They had not paid into the Presbyterian church, their denominational part of it, for 13 years. So they had to have a Methodist pastor. He was 80 or 90 something years old, you know. And he was really a poet and kind of an evangelist. So he was, you know, always doing this poetry. Mm. Not sure how much they had heard, you know, the gospel in a long time. And we were going to the church of that man's youngest son. Okay. It was a beach church. Little bitty beach church. Everybody was in cutoffs, the hat backwards. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. And there were all these kids and Al and I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we had a wonderful time. It was terrific. And uh, this was his father. And so we went to honor him on Father's Day. The same Father's Day that Steve Hill went to Brownsville and preached. He preached first in Panama City, uh -huh. or outside of Panama City, Glendale really. And then he went to Brownsville and preached in the evening service and the revival broke out. My. 
and the people in the other church were kicking themselves. <laughs> I tell you. Yeah. That same Sunday, we went up to this little church up near Defuniac Springs in the upper part of the Panhandle. The, the church had been founded years ago, and you had to be a Presbyterian to get land there, you know, mm-hmm. and you had to be in good standing with the Presbyterian church. All of the women and most of the men were charismatic. The women were teachers, they all had master's degrees, and the men farmed. They had land grants and they farmed all of that land. And they were still out there and they were hungry for the gospel. We had the best time. I said, I tell you, I said, this is either going to be absolute heaven or hell out here, you know? (laughs) These people from the beginning of America, they've been out here, oh my goodness, this is gonna be good or bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was wonderful. I said, if I'd known all the good people in the world were in the Presbyterian Church, I would have gotten into it to begin with. (laughs) So we did that, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, then the Lord asked, me to write this book, this first book, and I was halfway through it, and I knew that we were about to have revival again. My, now what we was the name? We had been through revival several times. What was the name of that book? That well, that was called "The Heavens Opened." Wow, that was the first book, mm-hmm. and and the other one was "The Priestly Bride," and they put them together in "Heaven Awaits the Bride." Anyway, um, so we knew because there were all the signs again. We were going to have revival. You felt it that it was about oh, yeah, to hit again. You can all you can feel when it's coming. Same thing as you'd felt before, in Kansas City. Absolutely. The only time it surprised us was was when they when he did it in the prayer room in Kansas City. That surprised us, but we were just desperate. He would be kind to us. I yeah, think. yeah. These people are just, you know, <laughs> let me alone. Okay, I'll, I'll give it to you. We'll heal the people. Yeah. You, know? you just, and I do believe that that is a great way for revival to come, is that you just do the limit in, in praying that you can, that you press in with everything you've got. Not only with honorable living, but with everything in your your being, mm. crying out to God for this. There's so, really nothing like revival. Well, it's, and living in those days, huh? Well, it it is completely different. It is completely different. It's uh, your your steps are bathed in butter. No. You ask for something, you get it. My. Oh, it's just, there's nothing like it. It's, it's wild. I'm not saying that it creates mature Christians, mm-hmm. but it shows you're on fire, you know. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. You're really on fire. Beautiful. But he has to withdraw that so that you will mature. You can't live in that kind of thing mm-hmm. and mature. Mm. See, the, the reason it's so bad to kill somebody, uh, other than the Lord doesn't want it, is that you're, you're taking away their time of growth. 
here is where you mature quickly. If, if you die as a baby, you know. I mean, he's speaking to the spirit, so he can speak to your spirit. Right. Whenever. Right. You know, he spoke to, to the spirit of a prophet in the womb. Why, why couldn't he speak to it as a baby, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but growth in heaven is so slow because there's no resistance. It's all lovely. My. You aren't come against. Right. Yeah. So down here is the training camp. We're down here training. And, and the more and the harder it gets, the more you're being trained. Mm. You know? Yeah. And this is a, this that is sounds a, like the Bible to me. Yeah, sounds the, like you know, it. <laughs> the Bible says that persecution brings a greater glory. That's right. Sometimes we don't want to go through persecution. Well, I've gotten to embrace it because um, ever since we've been up here, we have been, per we were persecuted, have been, My. still are, you know. And I say, terrific, bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's have it. <laughs> more, more. <laughs> you know. I would like to see the chapel built. On the top of the mountain here. Yes, because not there, here. Right. Up here, yes. Up here, because the, um, the father, all the prophets, especially Bob, said that the father was going to come down. Now we have a revelation of Jesus. We have a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But the father... Well, he came down and ate with the 70 elders up there on the mountain top when they left Egypt. But we haven't really seen face to face. So, yeah. did, so did Bob say that when the chapel would be built up here, that the Father no, would come he down? Say, or, uh, what he, was? he just thinks it's crazy that it's been so opposed. No. Mm -hmm. It's been so opposed. And it's, it's sad, you know. But I think he has his timing. He's he's uh, changing things. Yeah. He's changing things. He wants people who will stand for him and with him. My. And who will live in unity and godliness. You know, we can't go into this next move of God like the charismatic movement. You see, when it began in the 60s, he came out of a, a denominational church and everybody was doing their best. They were laying down their lives for the people that came in. Uh, they, they formed households and they would bring people in from the streets and let them live with them, drunks, uh, you know, drug users. But there was tremendous amount of flesh. Hmm. No one knew about the feasts. Nobody knew about the things we know now. Didn't know how to pray for healing, deliverance, things, things like this that seem usual now, that everybody out in the congregations know. It wasn't known. I remember Albert had already gone through all of that down in Houston. He came up to this, he wanted to do something else. You know, he felt that he could be of more service. It was going great guns down there in the 70s, you know. Mm -hmm. He said, let me go up to something and serve. And the bishop uh, said, 
There's nothing open except this church that has 15 members. You're not going to go there. The town is smaller than the church you're in now. My. And he said, I'll go. And he went up to this church of 15 people. And he got their permission to have Friday night meetings, which were charismatic. You know, it was an Episcopal church. So, yeah. I don't know. But it came out of the liturgical churches, all of this. It came out of the Catholic and the Episcopal churches, the beginning of it. But people, when I was up there, I was up there in 74 to do some writing. And uh, they had never seen someone fall over in the spirit. You see, all of that's just, everybody think, well, that's nothing. Eric, you know, everybody's doing that. Nowadays, they would, they would just take that for granted. Yeah. He said that they, it was after one of the services, they had a, a Catholic priest there. He had different denominational people come in and speak on different subjects mm-hmm. on Friday night. And uh, the Catholic priest was there, and uh, this lady started up to the altar where he and someone else were, and the lady fell over backwards. Now this was in a church that was built before the Civil War. My. So you can imagine how it rattled. Right. <laughs> no. no catchers, nothing. No, no catchers, just bang over and she was a large lady. Wow. Yes. And off she went, you know. Albert got up, he thought she'd had a heart attack, you know. And the, the priest said, she's all right, she's all right. He said, what do you mean she's all right? He said, She's just fallen over in the spirit. He says, what do you mean? What do you mean by falling over in the spirit? And when he told us, he told my family and I, he said, so we had him pray for all of us and we were all laid out all over the church. I said, oh no, oh no. I said, if the bishop finds out you all were laid out all over the church, he would go crazy, Mm. you know. I was stunned, you know. My. I said to him, I said, because this was, you know, they call them Father Al, just like you would in a Catholic church, even though it's Protestant. Uh-huh. And um, I said, now, I said, Father Al, this, you can't let these people do this. This is emotionalism. Don't let them do that. I said, now, I'm sure that you're a very nice Christian father. He was sitting next to me. I said, <laughs> I said, however, you've got to stop the people from doing this kind of thing. He said, I said, I wanted to come over there because I was writing this piece of thing, you know. And uh, it was pretty demonic. <laughs> and he said, he said, um, I said, I wanted to come over and look at you people, and but I didn't want to laugh at you. And he said, well, the Lord will take you any way you come. It convicted me terribly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, he was so gentle and so honest and so everything and I was New York mean mm. mean my you get real mean up there and really proud I lived there 15 years you can really be mean mm. my mother would say oh and you become as mean as those New Yorkers <laughs> my 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 yeah she was really worried about me <laughs> surprise anyway 
I don't even remember where I was in all the stories. I've mixed them up. Somewhere. Oh, it's a, it's great. It's great. So you you were living. Um, you grew. You went to New York, Greenwich Village. Is that where you were at? Or I did live in Greenwich Village. Okay. I lived on Eleventh Street, the very last of the the beautiful brownstones. There mm. was Eleventh Street, and uh, I lived in this great apartment. It was 15 feet high, the ceilings and huge windows. Had a pear tree in the back. Oh, it was hard to get married to my husband and leave all of that and become a minister's wife for a church of 15 people. Yeah. I said, oh, 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 I'm having to leave my apartment. That was the worst thing. <laughs> my. They're hard to get up there, really were. Man. But it was wonderful fun. Um, Dustin Hoffman lived right down the road. Of course, they were blowing up some of these places. You know, I was there in the 60s. My mother would call me. She said, Ann, you've got to be careful. Don't get away from New York. She said, they, they had a bombing right down there. They, had, they were building bombs and it blew up and Dustin Hoffman got out of there because he, he knows it is dangerous. I said, oh mother, that was a block away. <laughs> I was so young, you know. Man. <laughs> then they blew up a church down there, a very old church that was there from the beginning of of uh, New York. Was this the the Weather Underground guys that did that, or was this some other? Group? I don't know. Everybody was making bombs and blowing things up. I mean, the '60s were. I mean, you'd go to places, you know, and people were. Uh, now I didn't do that. I didn't smoke pot. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't into it. I thought, this is crazy. How do you know what you're going to be smoking? Right. But it was everywhere. My. You know? And I was in my 20s. We would walk barefoot on the street. And, ah, you know, yeah. it was wonderful fun. It really was fun. So, you know, I wasn't into the the bad part of it, the sexuality right. and the drugs. Right. You know, so. Right. And you went there for school? Did you go up there for school, no, like screenwriting or anything? No, I, I had already um, gone to England and gone to school for acting. Okay. And I was already acting in New York and, and across the country. But uh, I went there for that, and I kind of stumbled into screenwriting. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a, kind of a fluke. I My. wanted to earn some money, and I thought, well, I'll just do this. My. <laughs> you know? And they'd been trying to get a screenplay from that material all that time, and I didn't, whoa, you know, suddenly they said, congratulations, you have a new career. I just, I just had a, a natural gift. My goodness. Even when I came here, I called up to, um, to Boone, to the university up there. Uh -huh. I said, do you all have a, an English department with a writing course? And they said, yes. I said. I'd like to speak to the man in charge. And I called him. He said, yes, can I help you? I said, do you have any books? Do you have any books on writing? And he said, he said, yes, do you want to write? I said, well, I do write. He said, but nothing gets done. I said, oh, no, everything I do gets done. He said, and you're wanting to write, but, and you want to learn how to write when everything you do gets done? I said, yes. I said, what happens when they find out I don't know what I'm doing? Oh my. <laughs> so this is no like idea. a real this is a real gift that God had given you. This is a real gift. Hmm. Because I have no idea about my. writing. 
I really don't. So you go to you went to you went over to England, learn how to act. It was come, acting. It was at the Royal Academy. You come uh-huh. to um, Greenwich Village. I was you acting. start doing acting there. Then you, you move to Texas. Well, guys, well, and then that's I'm when from, you did I'm those. From Texas. Okay. I'm from Texas. Okay. You know, so it wasn't such, such you know like oh my gosh, I mean, but I love Texas. Well, I love Texas. Don't say anything about Texas, you know. I love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I was up there and I was acting, and uh, right before I left to do the writing on this screenplay that I I was doing when I came down to to Texas, the the people flew me out to the West Coast. They said we want to take this book and turn it into some place in Texas. Okay. It's, it's was set in Vermont. And we want it in Texas. And I said, well, I haven't lived in Texas, I don't know how many years. I've gone to college. I've gone out to school in England. I, you know, right. been in New York, what, 20-something years, you know. Mm. I said, I, I'll have to go to Texas and sit there to, to hear the cadence of the voices. If I'm going, they said, okay. And my family was restoring a house in Jefferson, Texas, a town of 2,500 people. You know, My. With a church that was built before the Civil War. My. So then you moved out there. Well, I just went out to write. To write. I was okay. kept my apartment in New York. Are you kidding? I was just going to go bop down there and go back. Oh, okay. You say, absolutely. I wasn't going to stay down in Texas mm-hmm. when this happened to me. When, when I became a Christian. So in the middle of the screenplay... You became a Christian. Oh, my Lord. That was the most amazing thing. It really was. In the middle of the screenplay, writing something absolutely demonic, completely demonic, believing nothing of that was true, Mm. you know, just thought it was a bunch of silliness, you know. Here I go to these meetings, and... Oh, my future husband says, you should come and, and uh, to this particular meeting, the man's going to be talking about deliverance, like something you're writing about. I said, deliverance, huh? If he'd said exorcism, I would have known what he meant, but he uh-huh. said deliverance. Uh-huh. I didn't know what he meant. He said, why don't you and your sister come? So I went, and they were lecturing on this, you know. Then Saturday, they had a where they were praying for people. For deliverance. That's right. Exorcism. And so he says to the people that were out in the congregation, if you're just curious, we would ask you to leave. So I stood and I said, I'm curious. How am I going to know if this is true if I don't see it? My. And the, the man who was a Baptist minister this time says, well, cover yourself with the blood of Jesus. Now that's Christianese. We know what that means. But to someone who's not saved, to say that to them is just like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Cover myself with the blood of Jesus. I was just kind of, my sister and I were looking at each other. This lady passes us and goes up to the front. She falls down on the ground. She starts rooting like a pig. (laughs) 
like this. Long saliva things come out of her mouth and hook to the floor. My. Those were nests. I found out later what those things were. And she, and then her face became a pig's face. Now I had seen theater. I mean, I had even been to Russia for three months looking at theater. I'd seen theater all over the world. Here was this woman's face becoming a pig's face. Nobody made her up. Nobody did any of that. And I was seeing that. And I, I was looking at that with this one like this, you know. And I said, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. I dropped to my knees on the thing. I grabbed a hold of the back of the pew. I said, my Alice, which was my sister's name, I said, Let's sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> so we start, Amazing Grace. But we didn't know Amazing Grace. We weren't saved, you know. We didn't know Amazing Grace. My, yeah. So I said, where am I? I said, how does it go, Alice? She said, I don't know. So we're here watching this incredible thing happen in front of us, you know. They delivered this poor lady, and I said, oh, my word. I said, Alice, I'm on the wrong side. Is this the moment that you realize that the spirit world is real? That's right. My. I was stunned. I said, I've, I've got to find out about this. I've got to see. I've, I've got to get saved somehow. I knew I wasn't saved. Right. You know? I mean, I knew it. When they talked about salvation and everything, I just... I thought it was interesting, mm -hmm. but I wasn't saved. So poor Albert was trying to explain. Here I was writing this this demonic movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> writing the demonic movie, while he's trying to explain to me of coming to Christ. You know, I said, why do you need Christ? Why can't you just go to the Father? What is the problem whether you have to have somebody in between here? Right. What is, you know... I mean, I had all of the things that everybody has. I thought I was unique. I was just like everybody else. Just right. like everybody else. And, but when I handed in this movie and got it out of my hands, I mean, I was, I was trying to understand. I would take the screenplay of Carrie and put it in the only Bible in this house that was being restored. It was one of those big old-fashioned Bibles okay. with the old-fashioned pictures in it and everything. And I would take that screenplay and put it in, I don't know what I thought I was doing. You know? Yeah. I'd put that huge Bible on my hip and I'd go to the Friday night meetings. You know? But I couldn't understand. I'd say, I don't understand. I can't see this until I handed in the screenplay. And once the screenplay was out of your hands, is that the Lord, moment that you got saved? Is that when yeah, it really after, happened? Yes, uh-huh. My. I was, I, after that, my. I, I, I could understand about Christ, and I gave my life to Him, you know. And so, so then, is that when the charismatic movement kind of started happening in, in Texas for you? And this well, whole thing with Leonard Ravenhill? Well, he was already in the middle of all of the... I, I thought... Because I grew up in church, mm -hmm. I thought that maybe I just missed it somehow. And that all church was like it was right there in that meeting. 
Oh, okay. Which was really exciting. Yes. You know, and that somehow in growing up I had missed all of this. My. You know. So it's but it was fresh for you. Oh gosh, absolutely! I began seeing angels, hearing God. You know, God mm. told spoke to me as soon as I spoke in tongues. He spoke to me, told me I was going to be seeing into heaven. My. He also said I was going to be marrying the minister of that church. I thought, what? Wait, wait a minute. I mean, we were not interested in one another. Man. It was just like, you've got to be kidding. I mean, what a change. My apartment. <laughs> wow. Yeah. My New York apartment. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But instead, I just, you know, when you're newly saved, you can do just about anything. You mm. have a certain grace. Mm. when you come right in from into salvation. And this was right after I'd been saved. Right. The Lord spoke to me. I spoke in tongues. He spoke to me. He said I was going to marry this man. I said, well, that's the man for me. Hallelujah. Okay, great. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are the man for me. I just right. immediately, you're, you're, ah, there you are. And I didn't even see you. You were right in front of me. And I didn't even see that you were the man for me. My. You know? And how, thought, how many years were you married to, to uh, Albert? We were married. We got married in uh, 75. Okay. And he died in 212. So you lived in Texas. You went to Kansas City. Went to Kansas City. We lived out on the land for a while making wreaths. Mm, you moved to, uh, to uh, Florida. Yes. Another move of God hits. So you're in yes. Texas, a move of God hits. Yes. You're in Kansas City during the Kansas City Prophets, it hits. You're there during the revival that hits in the panhandle of Florida. That's right. And then God moves you here in 97. You've been here for 22 years. That's right. And you moved here with Albert during That's that time. Right. During that time. Wow. My husband was such a prayer warrior. I mean, prayer is really... I, I'm writing, but prayer is my... I love yeah. I love it. And that's what you've been living on this mountain doing. That's, oh my goodness, yes. And and someone did buy the land to build a house of prayer there. And uh, we were, he and I were co-presidents of it, and we had prayer meetings here for seven years. When he died, they decided that they were going to disband and, and have, like, not have open prayer meetings. Okay. Because I felt that if a prayer mountain should have open prayer meetings. Yes. The people should be able to do this. Yes. You know? Mm hmm And of course I know it it's not that easy. Right. If you hadn't done a whole lot of prayer in your life publicly and with a lot of prayer warriors, it might not be that easy. But to me it's just oh God. Anyway, she stopped it and so I I had private prayer meeting with just a few people, mm -hmm. you know, that formed mm -hmm. a kind of core group. And after seven years, I felt she was not going to begin again. And I just wanted so much to have prayer on this mountain again. So we opened it up for prayer. My. 
and it began to just pack out. Now, these are people that come up here to pray, mm -hmm. you know. They are here to be part of what God is going to be doing. So it's, to me, it's just, it's just wonderful. I just want to thank them, all of them, each time they come. Because we, mainly, it's not people from here. Right. It's sort of like with Mike Bickle or with, with Rick Joyner. They don't draw from the places they live. They draw internationally. Mm. So that's people from around the world come here. That's right. That's what's pray. here. That's what's here. So, you know, these are just people that come up here. Mm. And they, they love the Lord. Sometimes we get a witch or two. And I'm hoping that they'll be saved. Yeah. You know, it doesn't bother me. You know, say, woo, woo, woo. It doesn't right. bother me. I right. mean, <laughs> doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. You know, we can deal with that. Do you feel? Do you feel like a, there's a renaissance coming to this area, like a refreshing, a renewal, a revival? I think that the Lord has been waiting to, for the people to get in here that are supposed to be here mm -hmm. for what He wants to do, and I only know about this little strip here, right. this mountain, right. this little mountain, uh -huh. and it's not the big mountain. God said that's going to be the distraction. Okay. People are going to look at the big mountain and they're going to be distracted because what's really going to be happening is going to be over here. Yeah, on Prayer Mountain. That's right. He he chooses the manger always. My. Yeah. But everybody else is going to say, Ooh! It's right. up high, it's up high, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's going to be over here. And My. Bob told me that. Because I prayed seven years, we prayed seven years with people that owned the top of that mountain. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. After that, the Lord said, "That's that," because they were just sort of praying for their business and everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the Lord and for His, for His, uh, for His coming down. Mm. I can see my Father, Heavenly Father. If so be He grants me to see him mm -hmm. anytime I know what it means to see him I know how it changes you right it changes your life entirely yeah. you are not the same person mm-hmm that's what prayer does to you that's what seeing the father and being in his what presence being in his presence does yeah it is life-changing do you think that there will be a time here where prayer will be 24 hours a day? You feel like that will, where the glory of God will be here? Well, I know, I know the glory's here, but what I mean is just the, the abiding presence of prayer with people that are so hungry for Him that all they want to do is just seek the face of God. Well, it could be, but that's always very short-lived. Mm -hmm. Like like the... Uh, Cane Ridge revival, or the right. you know, uh, revival over in Wales, or the Hebrides revival. Those things only last a while. Right. You can't sustain it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't be up all the time. You see, that twenty-four hour prayer was an old model of the Old Testament. Right. And uh, it's very nice 
that Mike's doing it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but people, after you get over the excitement of it, you've got to live. Live in Most that Most people have to earn money, right, you know. Right. They've got to live. You can't just have old people and rich people you know praying right <laughs> you've got to have some young people right. and they've got to work yeah <laughs> you know so it, it won't it doesn't it won't go which mm-hmm. i told him would probably happen yeah you know um but he felt that that was a model that he wanted to do mm-hmm. but i feel like uh that is it's what everybody knows because he's doing it. Mm-hmm. But he has to have the kids that are there, that their parents are paying for them to be there. They have to promise to be there from a certain time in the morning to a right. certain time in the right. from night till the morning. Right. So it's not really just everybody eager to stay up all night. Yeah. Now, when you're you've been doing you've been doing prayer meetings at your house here. Yes. Yes. And what has that been like? Oh my gosh. Well, you see, I'm I'm 83, and I've done a lot of prayer. Yeah, your whole life has been prayer. My That's whole still, life is our prayer. whole conversation has been about from one move of God to another move of God, That's exactly but it's all right. been about prayer. Well, even more than that, when I was growing up, even as a little bitty girl, I would sit on the porch every night and call out to God. My. I didn't know Jesus. Right. But I would sit and I would sing to him, and I would call to him. Hmm. The Holy Spirit was very much present, moving on me, but I wasn't saved. My. Because I didn't know Jesus. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But your whole life has been but praying. My whole life has been praying. And now you're 83. And now I'm 83. And you've been doing meetings up here That's on right. the mountain. They, having people come in from all over the world, and these are hungry people. These are people that want to pray. They're, I would think, but yeah. maybe not. You know, you might get some witches here. Okay. Have to stop them from praying, you uh-huh, know, uh-huh. because they, they do pray incorrectly. Right. We say we don't pray like that. Right. We try to be kind to them, but, you know. Uh, well, I haven't this period of time, starting in December, we started back. Okay. They haven't, we haven't had that problem mm-hmm. uh, that we have had in the past. But um, I tell them this is an open prayer meeting. It's entirely free. If you want to prophesy, prophesy. If you want to sing prophecy, if you want to pray, pray. My. It's just open. And I realize that very few places in the world can do, you can do that. Right. They are controlled. Right. Very controlled. But. I'm just an old person that's done a lot of prayer, mm-hmm. and I'm praying that the Lord will help me handle it if, yeah. we, if it gets a problem. Mm-hmm. My. So, so it, and you've been doing this every week then? You've been having people Every come week on Friday. And what has the presence of God been like? Rich? My, incredible. My. I have to ask others, you know. Wow. But I think it's just incredible. There's tremendous freedom, and people just prophesy, and you know, they'll sing out in the spirit, and they'll do all these things. We have some worship, you know, about 30 minutes of it, because I feel that the people have come up here to be with God. Yes. You know, 
I'm excited that they're here and we can pray for what God wants. Right. You know. Right. Nationally, mm -hmm. internationally, um, and hopefully for the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. But because you believe that that chapel will be built. I do believe it. I do believe it will be built. Has God given you a blueprint? Have you seen it in the spirit? We, we have a blueprint. There it is, right up there. Oh wow. It's all glass, so you're like you're outside. Oh wow! So it has to be, of course, steel. Uh huh. Covered with wood. But it's you. You feel like when you're there that it's just you're out in the open. That's it. That's amazing. Yes. The last picture down there is when God, the Father, comes down. Uh, a friend of mine up here did that. My. She gave me the first picture. I said, do one that has the feather inside so that life is inside. And she did that. I said, now do one with the Father on the throne. And I didn't tell her what to do. She just did it. That's glorious. I do believe it will be built. I do believe that... Um, and it will be a house of prayer for all nations. Do you believe yes, that? that's right. Uh, of course, there will be a time when the Father comes down that people will want to be there all night. Mm -hmm. and that will happen naturally. But after that goes, there's no reason to keep that going. It's a work of the flesh. Right. To keep something going when it's not there spontaneously. Yeah. 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 And that is an old model. See, they were trained from their little bitty children in their instruments. That's all they did. Mm. So they just took turns, did it. You know, yeah. that was their job. Yeah. So they had money to live on. But nowadays, you don't get paid for this kind of thing. Right. In fact, it's it's a money pit. Doing any of this, mm -hmm. it's a money pit. Mm -hmm. You do it because you love the Lord. Yeah. And you want to help, you know, do what he wants. And you, you can't do anything but pray. My. You have to pray. Yeah. And I'm so excited that I've gotten to start again. I just was so desperate those seven years that I wasn't doing this. When I could start it again, I was so happy. My. You have no idea yeah. how wonderful it is. Yeah. And besides that, I got to see some people. Mm -hmm. Because I'm writers of necessity are pretty hidden. Right. And I'm hidden all the time, so the only people I see is people who come up here to pray. I'm so grateful. Hi. 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 How are you? How are yeah. You? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, because there's been you you haven't been seen in the public for twenty two years. Yeah, that's right. You had no pictures? No, I no try, photo ops. I try to get it. We have picked things up and say, don't, do not film me. Right. Do not run a picture of me. Do not, you And know, God spoke to you to do that. Don't record me. The only other recording that I've done was with Sid Roth. Uh-huh. He called me and I told him, he came up here and visited for a couple of times. My. I told him I would do that for him, but not, not his television. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. God called you to be hidden. That's right. And pray. And I want to be. A, I want to, you know, 
do what he's asked me to do. Yeah. My. You know? If he wants me hidden, I want to be hidden. This is a wonderful time, though. It feels like you you're you you feel alive. You feel like oh this is gosh. the greatest time. Oh my gosh! You know, I thought this is going to wear me out. Mm-hmm. At eighty-three, to do with this, all of this is like you know orchestrating right. something. You know, when you're here, yes, pray, yes, the, you know, it's it's like, and it goes sometimes like four hours mm-hmm. because people stay here afterward and they want private prayer which I'm happy to do Right, I'm happy to pray for them mm. I want to you know I had forgotten really I hadn't thought about it in a long time that I had that mantle from John G. Lake's gray yeah yeah uh, Jacqueline said I've got to go out to Spokane I think I need that mantle from John G. Lake's grave. I mm-hmm. said, you don't have to go out. I've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Right. It's why I didn't realize that you could have a mantle and also give it. Bob told me that because of his own mantle. Mm. He told me about giving it. It came from an African man, a holy man over in Africa. That's where Bob's mantle came from. That's right. And he was just a kid, you know. And he was walking down a dusty road in Arkansas, barefooted, Mm -hmm. down this road, young, very young. And here comes down this horse, white horse, with this angel on it. And the only thing he knew was that if you saw an an angel, you were going to die, you know. The angel looked at him like like Jesus looked at me. Yes. Looked like a, he said it was a football field away, but the eyes were like piercing into him. Wow. And so the angel threw down that mantle of skins, kept looking at him, and then left. Bob was so young, he ran home and got under the bed. He was just a kid. Scared him spitless. My. <laughs> you know? really really scared him so he would not take that road he wouldn't go down that road he was scared he was going to see that angel that angel was going to come back he was sure he was going to die you know he was just scared my and so all this time he went you know he when he became a christian and everything he realized that what had happened was that the lord had thrown down a mantle for him my goodness. So he told the Lord, he said, I'll, I want to receive that now. And the Lord sent angels to him with the mantle. He said he smelled like mothballs for two weeks. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> He'd been preserving it. He was preserving it for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Isn't that something? That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So, do you believe that this place is has an is an open heaven? Some, I mean, you've been warring. You've been warring here, twenty two years to keep the portal open. Yes, yes. Uh, there are some parts of it that are open. Not every place is an open heaven. Yeah. It would not be really good for people if it was. I think it would be. You got a lot of warfare. Right. People aren't really ready for it. Right. You know, you have to 
to build up, uh-huh. <laughs> like exercising your muscles, on, right. you know, to to be able to withstand that kind of attack all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My. Certain places. Yeah. You feel like the, the prayer mountain is definitely an open heaven, though. I think parts of it, yeah. Yeah. Not all of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I do believe that the, the chapel will be built when the Lord wants it to be built. His divine timing. In divine timing. And he, the Father, will come down. And he will be in that building. Because you've got to get the rain and the snow and the sleet and everything else off of people. Yeah. And they have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have to get a drink of water. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there are just some necessities of having a bathroom and water and all kinds of things. You right, know, right. For the people that, that have to be there. There has to be parking. That's not available yet. Right. There's an awful lot that has to be available. Mm-hmm. has to be a way in and a way out. Yes. Probably different ways. Mm-hmm. All of that's not yet. Yeah. So there's a lot to be done, but things are happening now. Mm. Exciting things. And do you feel the same way that you felt right before it broke out in Kansas City or it broke out when you were... During those other revivals, are you feeling that same kind of anticipation? Oh, yes. Yes. And I'm afraid other people are going to feel it and are going to start coming here when they shouldn't be here. Oh, okay. So you can't come here unless you've been sent by God. Well, you can come here, but you put yourself in peril. Mm. This is not an easy place. It's like having to be being called to Jerusalem. You know, yeah, yeah. You better be called. You better be called to to go there. Right. It's a war zone. Mm-hmm. And so is this. Now, what people feel when they come here is great peace and joy. That's because it's been fought over. Right. And don't you feel like that? It's also a part of people like yourself have been praying here for so many years. We've been praying, but there's been a lot of. The people who aren't here, they, they become sort of rancid and turned against anything that has to do with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. You know, they come here for these things and they turn against it and try My. to hinder it. My. Yeah, it's not so good. My. It's not so good. But that's the reason the Lord is going to need to bring those who want to see yeah. His work go forward. Do you feel like God's calling those people now? Like almost like a trumpet call? Yes, I do. Uh, but there's also other people that are coming in that are very, they're very exciting people. Like you, I think you're a very exciting person. Yeah. You know? And you excite other people, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, too. And you can stir up people to come and be who you are. Yeah, yeah. Does that mean they should be here? Right. I don't know. Yeah. You know? Right. If they come here for you, and you know, that's good. Right. If they come here to get here on this, I mean, they're going to want to do this, I hope. Right. But I just pray that they don't settle in the middle of this, because if you live in it, visiting here is one thing. 
trying to settle in the middle of it is quite different. Right. Then the tests are hard. My, my. Yeah. They're my. not easy. But they're people that are extremely dynamic like you. Mm -hmm. You're very dynamic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are going to want to be here. Yeah. When Rick came here and lived for a while, people wanted to get here. Yeah. Were yeah. they meant to be here? Not really. Right. They had to go. Yeah. It kind of messed up their lives. Mm. You know? But he was here, and so it was exciting. Yeah. Because wherever he was, there was bound to be something great happening. Right. You right. know what I mean? There's that feeling about things. Yeah. Mm. So, yes, I'm not excited about the fact that people may start sensing this. Mm -hmm. I, I may be able to sense it earlier mm -hmm. because I've lived here. Yeah. But, you know, I don't want people to be hurt. Right. I don't want their lives to be torn up. Yeah. 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 So what do you see is coming in the future? Do you have God been speaking to you? I mean, I know he has. Are you sensing anything? Well, I know I have hopes. Um, I'm very excited that we have a baby Christian. He's a two and a half oh. as our president. Mm. I thank the Lord for that. Uh, Donald Trump came into New York when I was still there, living in New York. Yeah. We laughed him to scorn. He's been laughed to scorn his entire life. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just set him up the whole time. Yeah. Which evidently was God's plan because once you've been laughed to scorn in, Ken in New York, you have some training in it. Uh huh. So that if you're going to be laughed to scorn by the whole world, it's not as big a step. Because New York is the hub mm -hmm. of all exciting things happening. Right. You know, in America. Not the West Coast. They're a little too laid back. But New York, they live two years ahead of everybody. And they're really proud of it. <laughs> I was certainly proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had to be spanked a lot because of that. <laughs> wow. But, um, yeah, he's, he's had a... It looks like he's had an easy life. He is not. He's been beaten on by everybody. When I heard he was going to run for president, I said, what? Because I had the same feeling about him that I had when I was in New York. Mm. I was for Ted Cruz. Okay. Who looked Christian. Right. You know, and is Christian. Yeah. But there's a lot of difference and being a Christian and the Lord gave him a test when he was in Wisconsin and some of that uh, the black doctors votes were stolen hmm. by, by Cruz's people right and Cruz said it yeah I guess we did we stole all those votes he didn't give them back yeah I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's a Christian, but he's maybe so that was his test. Christian. That was his test. It was a test. He failed. He failed it. 
Mm. And people, uh, then all the prophets began saying, it's Donald Trump. I said, what? Right. <laughs> you know, he was saying everything I wanted said, everything he was talking about I agree- agreed with, but I had this, this barrier with him, you know. And then I heard he became a Christian right before he was inaugurated. I said, oh my goodness, a baby Christian. Our president's a baby Christian. Boy, we better pray for him. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Not only is he going to be persecuted by the opposing party, but he's going to be persecuted by all hell itself. You right, know? right. <laughs> because he's now a Christian. My. You know? And I like all he's doing. Yeah. I like what he's done for Israel. I like the fact that he even stood for the Golan Heights. Yeah. You know, that he moved our embassy. Mm-hmm. And nobody's had the guts to do it. Right. But they're all aiming for him. Yeah. And they aren't playing fair. No. They are not playing fair. No. But he has stood like the the man, the warrior in the lentil field. <laughs> Right. You know, and stood and stood. He needs help. He's in desperate need of help. You know. And he is only a baby Christian. What were we like as baby Christians? Mm. We were fleshly. Yeah. Also, there's something that people don't like about him is the way he talks. Well, he grew up talking to people on the buildings being built. Riveters, uh-huh. you know, electricians, right? People like this, the working people. Mm. He talks like them. He thinks like them. Yeah. Except he thinks a little bigger, you know. Right. <laughs> but he talks and thinks like them. And everybody says, "I don't like the way he talks." I said, "Well, think about King David." I said, remember, he was out in the fields. You think he talked well? Remember how the, the king's daughter looked upon him with mm-hmm. great scorn? Mm-hmm. I said, he stripped down and danced practically naked in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Do you think that was kosher? Do you think that <laughs> was, you know? And she said, you know, you're just, she treated him like she, right. like the guy he was from the, from out in the country. He's just a country boy. She treated him like that. Uh-huh. And I'm sure a lot of people did, looked upon him like that. Mm-hmm. I said, he wasn't what everybody thought. He wasn't like some other people who may have talked well and said things well, but were also, you know. Yeah not doing the things that this president is doing right and standing for the things and standing for the church Mm. standing for israel yeah and standing against the whole world and what he is doing by standing is turning other nations now hungary is getting what they call right-wing people and and uh poland is and 
other nations are getting people who are turning not only to God, mm-hmm. but to the policies that hold up the Christian faith. My. So do you feel like America is going to turn? You feel like we're going to see another revival and outpouring of the Spirit? Oh my gosh, nation? yes. Yeah. Yeah. We always have revival every 40 years after it stops. It stopped in 1977 at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. The, all the denominations got together, and it was such a gathering that they had to get together in Arrowhead Stadium outside. They couldn't be in any buildings. My. And, and at that, right at the very end, we were still in the ha ha ha. Now, we didn't get to stay very long because Albert had to go home and preach a funeral for a Baptist man who died. And he went to, we went back. But when we were there later, in Kansas City and working with everyone, Mm -hmm. we were told about a book, a couple of books had been written about this gathering where all the churches came together and they met in this huge meeting. They were there for a week in the different denominational places, but they came together. And right at the end, someone stood up that wasn't supposed to prophesy and prophesied that the Father, that the, the Lord, Father, was the, the, the body of Christ, he said, was broken, and he was shutting it down. So he shut it down in 1977. It may have dribbled out mm-hmm. 40 years after 1977. It's 17 and if you put in the two more well one more year for grace which God always gives that's 18 and we're in the 19th year yeah he gives a year for marriage like he does with everything right it's always a year of marriage for marriage and things like that you can stay home now we're in it my and I know he's begun it somewhere. My. May not have begun here, but the fact that so many people are coming, and they're just coming. Hmm. He draws them. Yeah. Coming here. They've been coming here. Yeah. And hungry. Oh, they're packing it out here. Yeah. Really. Out on the porch, out in the other room. My. It's, it's, um, it's amazing. We need the chapel. We do. You know? People said, well, you need to push this out. I said, I don't want to push this out. I want the chapel. Yeah. I want the chapel where it's supposed to be. Mm. You know? Yeah. I want the thing itself. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to do this, and I love doing it, but I don't want to do something that would, you know, right. kill it off. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, you don't want to make it possible here what it should be there. Correct. You want it where it should be. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm writing my the next book, which was burned up in the fire that the witches started. Oh my goodness. I did not know about that. Yeah. You had a yeah. fire here. 
oh my gosh, this is not the same house that, that was here when we came. It was a little cabin, and the closets were about this deep and like this. It was a weekend cabin that my. we started buying, you know. Yes. And we'd actually just finished buying it. And I had had a, a vision when we were still in Florida of where we were living burning down and us running up this, it was in a lighthouse and we ran, ran up and we could only get so far because the fire was started at the top, you know? Yes. And uh, I said, all I want to do is save my journals. That was the most important thing. To you me. had a vision of this. I had a, I had a dream, started as a dream. Uh-huh. I woke up and it went into a vision. My. It just continued. And I went all the way up as far as I could go and then the the firemen were up there and they said, you can't go any further, you have to go down. We went out, people were coming down and like their bedroom slippers and all kinds of things, you know, from yeah, the top there. Yeah. And we went out and we went behind a yellow, uh, one of those, you know, not cords, but it's like plastic thing that they put up. Say, don't go behind this, you know. Uh -huh. And they were giving out coffee and hot chocolate and the, and we watched the thing burn all the way to the ground. Oh. So I sat there and watched it in the in the, the vision. And then after that, everyone left. And Al and I waited and we walked over to the just ashes. You know, the time is just not the same. It would have been too hot to do this, really. But the Lord does things with time. We reached in and I pulled out a journal. This was in this was in the this vision. This was in the vision. Okay. Pulled out a journal. That was it. Have it. I have it. You know the picture of it and everything. Well, the journal I pulled out and all that kind. Of, it was just incredible. So I was always afraid about a fire, you know. Mm -hmm. But it had been so long that I just the day of the uh, fire. I came upstairs. We were supposed to eat uh, someplace over on Poor's Knob with the family. And I came up here. I said, wait, this place is going to catch on fire. I said, well, what do you think? You're prophetic or something? What do you think? You're not prophetic? What is, what is this that you're thinking? So I thought all the way through the house. thought down. The stairway was down here. And I thought, well, there's nothing on. It can't can't burn down. Our little dog came out and the front door was that way, looked out the, the panes of glass, you know, and it was warm enough even though it was just the 27th of December. I thought, well, I should take the dog with us. She would love to go. I thought, no, I better not. Anyway, so we went at about three o'clock. Someone called us. They couldn't find us, you know. They said, your house is on fire, and hung up. Now we jumped in the car. This was a, an old white Cadillac that, um, um, oh, I just forgotten her name, gave us. Um, they had the end time handmaidens. Anyway, she was a wonderful old Pentecostal. Is this the uh, lady from Southern California? No, she's in, she was in because uh, um, I was thinking of the women in gold or the um, 
golden candlestick ladies that well, James Maloney speaks of. Yeah, I know, but this is this is uh, Gwen Shaw. Gwen Shaw, okay. Gwen Shaw, she's in Arkansas. Okay. And so she couldn't get in this car anymore, and she wanted. She said, "I want to give it to the round trees because I love the round trees." So she gave us this old white Cadillac. Oh, it was comfortable. Oh my gosh! Well, I could see why people want Cadillacs. It was wonderful. And we came here, and the car died at the bottom of the hill. You know, and we came up the whole. You know, flames and smoke. We came up here. There was the yellow tape, cording off everything. They were giving out coffee and hot chocolate. And I sat there and watched it burn. I just asked about the dog. We were very upset about the dog. Mm. They said, oh, it's long gone, you know. So the dog didn't make it. We watched it. But they had just built this little house down here. And my friend who was up in uh, Alaska. So I, we went down there. And they said, we cannot understand what happened at your house. When the insurance people, we had insurance. I thought all we had was what was in my purse. I didn't know we had insurance. Because we just bought it. Mm -hmm. You know? We had insurance and we had insurance for furniture too. You know? Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, Bob is the one that told me. Uh, Larry Randolph and Doug Addison had both been attacked by these white wolves here in their dreams. And they sent someone over here with two warlocks to, uh, to kill me, you know. So, my, you know, I, they, I actually met them. They, they intercepted me at Radio Shack. Oh, you met these people? They, yeah, they, they, I was at a, trying to get some batteries there. They had a sale on batteries right after Christmas. Hmm. It was the 26th, my husband's birthday. We drove up there. It was really warm for us, December. And uh, we were packed in there. And this lady had a, a phone book in her hand. She said, no, I can't find it. It's a man's name. This is a retreat center. And I said, are you looking for Harry Bazell? You're looking for Apple Hill Lodge. I, I know the number of that. And she said, she looked very strangely at me. And she pushed her way in front of me, and these two enormous guys, they were like birds of prey. And they were all greasy and dirty and smelled awful. They came and they were like, ooh, around me. And they said, are you Anna Roundtree? I said, you know. <laughs> yes. And they said, we have come for you. I said, okay. And they said, we're going to be doing houses of prayer all across America. And we hear that you're going to be doing one here. Nobody knew at that point anything, that even an organization had been formed to buy the land and put up the building and get the everything done. Nobody knew. Nobody. Wow. So, of course, I was interested. They said, we have to come to your house. I said, no. 
I don't think so. My husband's out in the car. It's his birthday. I said, but I'll go outside and talk to you. So I went outside and talked to them about 20 minutes. All they were doing was asking my schedule. They said, we have to come to your house. I said, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. They flew into a rage, you know, I, but I'm such a Pollyanna. Now, now, everybody, that's all me. It's all right. It's all right. Her fluff, 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 you know, mm -hmm. fluffing everybody up. And I said, I'm terribly sorry, but I can't do that. So I went and got in the car. By the time we got home, we were both sick. We both went to bed. We were ill. We had every demon in hell hanging on us, is what it was. My. They brought everything with them and dumped it on me. Man. So we didn't get up until noon the next day when we were going over to eat it at this luncheon. So that's when I went through the house and I thought it's going to burn. They sent me a basket when I was down here. And I was sitting in a, in a chair and somebody put this basket with fruit and stuff in it right beside me. I said, what? Who, who brought that? I said, what is this? They said, that lady said that she met you yesterday at the radio shack and she brought this. I said, oh my Lord. I said, take it away. Don't let anybody touch this. Let it go. I said, I'm not gonna touch it. They were sending in like a Trojan horse. Yeah, they were still after me. My. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah. And then the house burned down. Well, they did it. Yeah. They did that. Bob Jones told me. He said it was that it was that group out of Arkansas, those white wolves over there, that high wolf high witches. They sent somebody for you. You know. I told Doug Addison about it too. He's they had to battle them. They battled them in, in the nighttime, you know. My. They would come over here as wolves and go after them. So anyway, it was it was that group. Man, and now, and so you rebuilt this? This was because we had insurance, you know. Mm -hmm. They came over here, they said, this is entirely destroyed. They just dug a hole out and started again, built this. Now it was only there. Did you ever find that journal again that you seen in the vision? Oh, this is the most amazing thing. I was down there and a young man, uh, he said, uh, we wanted to see if we could find your dog, which they did. They were so precious. I loved that dog, the little Jack Russell. Um, they said that what had happened is that the only little table that stood everything fell on it but she was under it so she it, it was from asphyxiation not being crushed or burned oh okay and they buried her out here my so sweet what they said to me they said look uh, we have found your journals you see when I had that first revelation both the dream and the vision. I, I bought little bitty cheap safes at Walmart. Okay. And I would put the journals in the safes. 
and we never locked them. I mean, who would, if somebody came in and said, oh, I found something, but these are just books, who cares, you know? They were, they were never locked, so they were filled up with water because they poured all that water on them, but they were preserved. My. He preserved us. So what you had seen in the vision. What I had seen in the vision was valid. Man. Oh, it was something. It really was. That'll make it the, the hair, hair stand, stand up on, yeah, yeah, it. Does. Yeah. It was incredible. And so now you're working on this new book. Well, I, I, we had begun, we had a, a four book deal with Charisma or Strain Communications or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it down there. They wanted us to do four books for them. One of them was doctrine. They wanted us, they asked, they said, the doctrine has gotten so messed up in America. Mm -hmm. We want you to do a book on doctrine. We thought, who asks for a book on doctrine, you know? Yeah. But we felt that we, Albert wrote doctrine like rhapsodies. He was, you know, rhapsodic about doctrine. <laughs> so he was very theological. He was very and very solid. My. And there was only one thing that he was that he couldn't figure out. And when we were in Kansas City, we went to all the seminaries to find this out. He would go to all these libraries, seminary libraries, and look this up. And it had to do with predestination and election. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was really, he couldn't put that thing together. Right. So, you know, and... Uh, and that was the only time, really, that I he asked me to ask the Lord something. Okay. So when I was in heaven, which is like what Paul did, mm -hmm. when he went out to the desert, God took him up and he saw things from the different perspective. Right. I asked that lad, that the Lord, finally, I couldn't remember to ask him. Because they say, what would you like to see? And I say, what have you got? I don't know what you've got up here. You yeah, know? yeah. I don't even know what to ask for. <laughs> you know. Anyway, boy, your poor son. He's just oh. exhausted. Nehemiah, have a seat, buddy. Oh, he's, he's so like... bored. <laughs> poor kid. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Oh, it's, I'm so sorry, all these, you know, adults talking. <laughs> oh, heavens, bless your heart. Um, he wanted to know that. And uh, the Lord said two sentences concerning it. And so I brought them down. I, I'd never been interested in it. Right. And he says, I've never seen this. Wow. He looked at it, and we started looking it up, and it was all through the Bible. My. There it was. So then he, you wrote a book on doctrine. Well, yeah. Um, Joy Strang said that she wanted this book mm -hmm. to help the body of Christ. And she said, you know, Fuser Pickett, who was her mentor, kind of like Bob was mine, she said Fuser Pickett was trying to find the answer to this. And she could never find it. And she said, but this is the answer. And you had gotten it direct, directly from God. Directly from the Lord. My. But Albert wanted to tell it immediately. I said, no, we're not going to tell this. 
unless we can undergird everything that about it with scripture. Right. Unless we can prove everything through scripture. Right. We are not going to say this. You're not going to throw this out. My, my, my. You know? So it was it was like holding back a wild horse though. Yeah. My husband was a teacher. Boy, he wanted to tell it. You wanna... <laughs> 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 you know, he wanted to get there and tell these things. Yeah. Um, but um, so we had written twelve chapters of this book. We and the twelve chapters didn't even get us up to creation. Wow. All of this was beforehand. But we dealt with this, which actually was dealt with before mm. creation, mm -hmm. you know. So we dealt with all of that. And so when he died and someone wanted me to do a, a website, I thought, well, I can, this unfinished book, which had already been passed, this, this front first part of it, all 12 chapters, had been already passed down there by Strang Communications. Okay. They had passed on all of it. And um, I said, I could put this on a website and it would be out there. I don't know how many people would read it. I said, I don't think most people even know me. Mm -hmm. I've been so hidden, who knows me? Right, right. I'm not out there, you know? And I said, but if it does get out there, it will help the body of Christ straighten out all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. once you turn that key, it it all boom, 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 boom. it all lines up. It all lines up, every bit of it. And then you've done two other books on on your visitations to heaven. Yes, the first two, the the second one I didn't want to do because it had to do with uh, the formal betrothal, and it's to me it was very private. And I wouldn't do it. I told him, I said, I'm terribly sorry, Lord, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry that you want this, but I just, I said, if it was in a different age, I'd be stoned or burned at the stake or right, something. You right, know, I said, right. I've never heard of this. Mm. Personally, I've never heard of it. And uh, I said, so, I said, I tell you, I'll, I'll do a bargain with you. I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll do the book. If you show me some other person that has experienced this, I said, because I know I'm not so special that only I have experienced it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not that special. <laughs> mm. In fact, he told me that the reason he was doing this is because I knew nothing. I mean, I was completely unspecial, right. is what it was. And so, uh, some period of time left, and we went to Kansas City to be in a wedding up there. And I said, Albert, let's go out to talk to the sisters of St. Francis. They're Catholic. So the sisters of St. Francis of Assisi, the, 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 the mystic from, okay. That's right. So we went out and we had worked with them in the city. We had used their retreat center for the pastors quite a bit. So they knew I wasn't crazy. I thought, I thought people would think I was crazy, mm -hmm. you know. I thought, this is serious, you know. You just don't say things like this. Even if you could prove it in Scripture, you just don't, you don't have that kind of relationship, supposedly, with Jesus Christ. Right. You know, I mean, it's just not, whoa. So anyway, when we went to see them, uh, 
I said, sisters, I've had an experience. That is, I said, I don't exactly know how to explain it other than water poured into water. I said, it's that kind of blending. It's that kind of experience. It is so much deeper than salvation, being filled with the Spirit, because they were all charismatic out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, baptism of fire, anointings for ministry, all of that. I said, nothing compares to it. Bob had told Albert, he says, when Albert asked about it, he says, what has happened to her? He said, well, he said, you know how different each of these things are when you, when you experience them, how different you are? He said, yes. He said, do that 10 times that experience, all these experiences. He said, that's what it is. And so when I asked them, and they said, oh, yes, yes, we have Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, you know. They, I said, you've heard of it. They said, oh, yes, yes. They said, we've got some of their books. And the, I said, they wrote books? I thought they'd be on scrolls because uh, they told me it was during the you know, medieval times. Right, right. I, I thought, this is going to be on scrolls. <laughs> Written in Latin, and I'm not going to be able to read it. They said, we've got their books. We went to their library, and they showed me the book. I said, oh, my. I said, sister, may I check this out? She says, well, you know, you don't live here any longer. These are for people who are on retreat. And uh, why don't you go over to the Jesuit college, see what they have. So we went over there. We got out these books. And I was standing there about 45 minutes copying a book, you know. Mm-hmm. I was knew the librarian was not going to be happy, you know, yeah. taking up her copying machine. And she came over. She said, may I help you? I said, well, there's this rare book that you have that we can't get anywhere, and and I've got to copy it before we go. And she looked at it, and she said, you can get that anywhere. I said, I can get it anywhere, <laughs> you know. So we went out, and we bought the books, you know. Yeah. And we came back, and I started working. Uh, I read part of it. I said, this is it. But I flipped to the back of the book where they actually went through the experience with the Lord uh-huh, uh-huh. of this blending, which is like the formal betrothal, this blending. And so I... So is this like the like mystical union, like full uh, ecstasy, it, it, it the is, blending of, of, of... You are... You know where, where, where Paul says, now no longer I live, but Christ lives in me? Yes. Well, we all think we know what he's talking about there, right. but we don't. Right. Because we haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. We know a lot about all of these other things, but this has to do with the marriage pattern, which is all through the Bible. Yeah. It's not in one place to say, we're going to do the feast, and this is what you do at the feast, and this is what, you know, you have to have this, and you have to have that, and you have to all, all that's together. But this is through the Bible and we had to get a I I was almost finished writing the book you know putting it together as it was given to me I just took it out of my journals I just took it out put it in there you know yeah I mean I didn't know even know what I was doing I mean honestly didn't and uh, 
Albert was reading these other books. I didn't have the time to do it. I was trying to put this together. And I got, you know, pretty far in the book. I said, Albert, I think this, this looks Jewish to me. <laughs> I said, this looks kind of Jewish. I said, uh, maybe we need to get a book that has the marriage ceremony. But they've messed up the marriage ceremony now, you know. Mm-hmm. They've jammed it together. It started out as babes were joined, you know, in infancy. As soon as you were born, you were premised to somebody over here, you know. That was the beginning of it. Then when you got up old enough, he came over, he said, I, I bring you some presents, I want you to marry me, and mm-hmm, that, kind of, mm-hmm. that was another part of it. But like arranged then, marriage. Yeah, there were. It was an arranged marriage, mm-hmm. very much like the Lord does when He says, "I want you to marry this person over here." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's right. He still does arranged marriages. Mm-hmm. He sure does. So anyway, that's that's what it was, and we found it in a very in the ancient marriage ceremonies of where it was in. In little pieces. Wow! You had a time that they got together and read the ketubah, the marriage thing. There was the time when they were, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. The big uh, ceremony, of course, are the last two, where you have the formal betrothal. That's that's big. There's a lot of processions, and they make, you know, everything's going that. And he goes away, uh-huh. like for a year. And then he comes back on a horse, takes you up to the, you know, and you're married. The only thing in the marriage was the the, the uh, blessings. I think there's seven of them. Maybe there are. I think that's right. Uh, the blessings and the cup of new wine. That's the marriage. That's all there is. Yeah. That's all there is. And the other part of it is the formal betrothal. They were, so you can be formally betrothed to the Lord on earth. It's the last of the single things you do. And it changes your life. You are married. And they have that in the Catholic Church with the nuns, Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. They do the outer part of it Mm -hmm. with the nuns. Those, those novitiates marry Jesus. They yeah. get a ring, you know. Right. They marry Jesus. They do that, the outer part of it, but there is actually something that happens. You see. Yeah. You are married to Christ. That's what Mary and Joseph had. She, they were married. They had gone through the the formal betrothal. You aren't married until then. Uh-huh. You are married. You, it's not the wedding bed. You don't do that part of it. You're just married. As Bob Jones says, he signs your checks. <laughs> wow. And so you had this experience in heaven. With I had this, this experience. Depth of I had the whole thing. The whole it. entire thing. Where they Unno- bring the gifts and all of it and unknowing that there had been other mystics 
in church history, like St. Teresa, St. John of the Cross, that had had a similar experience. No, I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Wow, that's incredible. Now, did you have that experience here in Moravian Falls? No. You were somewhere else? No. I started, it started when we were in Florida. Uh, I mean, a whole camel caravan came. In the spirit. In the spirit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was so real. I was looking out the door, you know, at this camel caravan. I thought, what? nobody sees this I mean they kind of shoot people around here so this wouldn't be a good thing right you know they got down with all these chests and they brought in all these chests that went right through the ceiling I said oh my goodness these were hope chests mm. <laughs> and and we had the he came with he came with a um, you know that they uh, what do they call it oh, the thing that goes over you the hoopa thank you the hoopa uh, the hoopah, he came with the hoopah and all these angels bringing gifts. I didn't know what that meant. Mm. But he brought the hoopah to show me what it was. Wow. As a sign. It just said love on it, you know. My. <laughs> and And they all came forward and they would give me a certain gift. You know. And then he just bowed and went. And I thought, what is going on here? So when you had a similar um, experience as the mystics had and you started reading about them, you, did you feel like at ease? Like, wow, there was other people in Christian history well, that had... Well, I began to understand why he, he had me go through this experience without knowing what others had done. Uh-huh. Because... The others blended in the Catholic doctrine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. into it. I mean, like John of the Cross tortured himself. He felt that that made him holy. Right, right, right. Well, he actually just let a demon in. That's what uh-huh, he did. Uh-huh. He may have been extremely holy, but he was, uh, he was also carrying a demon that was persecuting right. him. And he was thinking that was making him holy. You don't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were talking this dark night of the soul. The People would call me and they said, I'm going through the dark night of the soul. I said, stop it. Yeah, get out of it. <laughs> you know, stop that. <laughs> yeah. But it was, she did not do what he did. She was much more... St. Teresa we're speaking of. Then. Yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, but there was, there was still, he wanted... An experience from nowadays, from somebody that didn't know anything about it, and just was writing it down as it was happening. My. That would clean it all up. So people could read it. So people could read it. Then they could go over there and read them, and they say, "Oh, well, that's just they kind of pulled in yeah. something, you know." But they, but also, your book would make someone hungry to experience that again. Oh yes. For for prayer and intimacy. Yes. And that's really what God has done with you for the last 22 years being hidden, oh, yes. modern-day mystic, writing the, these these uh, encounters that you've had. Yes. And it's also a call to intimacy with the Lord that you believe that other people can experience as oh, well. Uh, yes. Yes. If they will. Yes. It Now, it isn't... I know when I left Kansas City, I remember talking to the pastors and I said, I'm going to find Christ, which is kind of weird uh-huh. since I was saved and been serving in the church a long time. 
but I knew there was more. There was something deeper than what you'd experienced. There was something deeper. And you found that. That's right. I said, I want everything I can get here. My goodness. I'm going to find him. And so you just kept praying, seeking. And then when these experiences started happening, you didn't know what they were. But here here it is. I did not know. Did not understand. But I, I knew that I was the hunger within me. What happens is that you run after him. And then there comes a certain time where he starts pulling you. Where he starts drawing you like a magnet. Yes. And you're you're going forward. Mm-hmm. And your hunger becomes more My. and more. I used to go out into the car when we were in um, there in that that uh, you know place that we were living in down yeah. in Florida. I'd hold on to the steering wheel and I'd say, God, I'm going to die if you don't come to me. I'm gonna die. You've got to come to me. Do you feel like that was a supernatural hunger, though, that God was putting in you oh, to was, pull towards him? He was, when you get to the place where he's drawing you, mm-hmm. if you don't go all the way, yeah, you know. Do you believe that you can, that you can pray for people and they'll become, they, they, it's like an impartation of where people can become mm-hmm. hungry? It's all divine where God just does it sovereignly. It is something like salvation. My. You know, can I say, yes, be saved? Yeah. No, I can't say that. It is a decision. Incredible. It's a decision within yourself. Or am I going to go for this? And see, this is something that we've left off that is part of the church. We have gone after gifts mm-hmm. instead of after Him. My. And He'll give you whatever you need to have. But the greatest gift is intimacy with the Lord. Oh, my Lord. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And for and really for your whole life, this has been kind of your life, your yes. lifestyle of prayer, 22 years now here in, I don't want to say confinement, but, but in secret. <laughs> it is. I'm almost. Yeah, in secret, though, with the Lord. Yes. And, you know, in a sense, I want to say this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but on a Friday, when people come in here, they all, in a, in a way, they get to see a little bit into that kind of I, I don't intimate know. realm. I, I tell you, I think, I think he's been really sweet mm-hmm. to allow me mm. to, to have this prayer meeting. Yes. Because it's just so wonderful to me to get to be with the brothers and sisters. Yeah. You know? And I wouldn't have the opportunity any other way. Amen. And he's, he's allowed this for me. He's, My. he's given me a present. Amen. They think they're getting something. I'm getting something. You know, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm touched Amen. that they're here. They're so, they're so wonderful, really. Yeah. They're so good. They're so, oh, you know, they're so incredible. It was like when we saw the whole body of Christ in Kansas City. I'd only been an Episcopalian. My. So you feel that same thing when the people are gathering here now? Yes, the same thing. That's incredible. When we were up there and we got to see the whole body of Christ. Everybody said, well, the body of Christ is this and that. 
I said, she is so beautiful, you have no idea. Mm. And that's what Jesus is seeing. He's seeing how beautiful she is. My goodness. She's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Well, we've we've been here talking, I think, around a couple of hours. <laughs> would you? Would you? And I, I hope that you let us come back again, sometime. Of course, you may come. Back. And, um, but would you mind just praying anything that you want, just for people that might be listening, um, as we end here? Surely. Okay. Lord, you are so gracious you not only invite us into your kingdom, you invite us into yourself, and that we can be joined with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we can all be together. What greater gift can be given to us than be at one with our God? Lord, we just ask that each person who is called into your kingdom, into yourself, Lord, to be joined with you through salvation, we ask, Lord, that you show them what you want of them. I, I am thrilled to, I feel like I'm getting to do what you want me to do, and it's so satisfying, Lord really is but I ask that each person have that wonderful joy in them that they are fulfilling the call on their lives that they're taking their place side by side with the brothers and sisters in the kingdom in the battle for your glory Lord for you Lord that you be lifted up and high and that the Lord Jesus would have his reward of all of those that he is calling into the kingdom. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Anna. Surely. Bless you. Podcasts are definitely trending right now. There are so many brand new podcasts that are hitting the market. And I think that iTunes is kind of overwhelmed. And one of the ways that iTunes aggregates what's hip and relevant from the rest of the noise that's hitting the web is through ratings and reviews. A bunch of you have already taken the time to leave a rating and a review of this podcast. And I just wanted to say thanks. You guys are incredible and you're so supportive and I love you. And if you haven't had a chance to take that minute or two to leave a review. If you do that, that'd be incredible. And I've created a shortcut to get you there. It's thedarrenshow.com. That's thedarrenshow.com. You can give it one star and that means that you think it's kind of lame. Or you can give it five stars and that means that you think this thing be dope, be tight, be off the chain. So if you would take the minute or two to leave a review, that would be mighty fine of you. Again, it's thedarrenshow.com. Thanks guys.